Welcome to the Fellow Traveler Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Lesperance. Listen in as I host humble discussions exploring the diverse expressions of Christian spirituality, tradition, and beyond. Enjoy, and safe traveling. Just taking a sip of my coffee here, because it's a special occasion. I need, I need some coffee, too. Where's um, your coffee? I, I don't know. You know, it's like, I don't live in Worcester. We don't have a Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> On every corner? Every, every corner, right? Hey, I make my own coffee. As well. Hmm. Through the yeah. exploitation of third world labor? Exactly. But it's fair yeah. trade, probably. Yeah. Maybe. Okay, right, right, right. It's Starbucks, so I think Starbucks uses fair trade. I don't know. Starbucks. So anyway. you mean you just... You just grind your own coffee? Yeah, or like, roast it? no, I bought the coffee in a bag that says Starbucks yeah. on it. So it's Starbucks yeah. coffee. Then I grind it in okay. the grinder and then I put it in my yeah. in my drip coffee machine. Right. Okay. Coffee gotcha. is, is the Holy Spirit, <laughs> you know, and <laughs> it is. It gives you it gives you life. It's a giver of life. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry that's not the most heretical thing we'll say today anyway how you doing cal i'm kind of hanging in there that's and good. yourself hanging in there i'm doing pretty well um yeah i can't complain we're on winter break are you on winter break do you guys get that yeah. texas oh yes. good texas better i mean it's like they get upset if you don't say Merry Christmas there, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. no, but I... none of that happy holidays. When did your break start though? Friday. Yesterday was my first oh, okay. day. Okay, yeah, ours, ours too. It was yep. kind of like they were they were going right up to the the edge of Christmas there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, got a few days ahead of time, which is nice. Um some schools had school yesterday. Like my daughter's school in Auburn had a a half day so we sent her so we could yeah. wrap presents and get her out of the house <clears throat> yeah had some siblings over last night to celebrate christmas because we probably won't see each other we won't all see everybody all together you know so <clears throat> so that was nice it was fun did you guys play some music um you know i have an a piano in my basement that i got last year like you know how like you go on Facebook Marketplace and people are just trying to get rid of pianos? There's free pianos everywhere. Oh yeah. If you want an upright piano, they're for free everywhere. Wow. I don't know if that's just up here in New England, but we're much You just smaller. need space. Yeah, it's exactly. You just need space for the piano. So I made some room in my basement. This is my basement. There's my wood stove. 
and yeah. there's the piano over there with my little recording that's studio. amazing that's yeah, amazing with all the junk on it and then i have my icon wall right here that i've started accruing mm -hmm. this is a new one i got this at la salette wow it's a good orthodox um icon of the theotokos and and our lord so they had the orthodox icons at, at la salette they did, yeah. They had some there. Because I guess that it would be a site of attraction to more than just Catholics, perhaps. And also, they recognize that there's Eastern Catholics, you know? So you get the best of both worlds in the Catholic world. Yeah, that's that's true. That's right. There's only really one church that can uh, plausibly claim to be universal mm -hmm. and Catholic in the old... I mean, everyone really still affirms in the creeds, you know, believing in the small c catholic church but there's kind of only one church that can meaningfully claim that that status yes you know it's kind of funny i was thinking about um gavin ortland and he he has this like video about how he feels like he's actually more catholic like he he his he feels that protestantism is more catholic in that it is more there's more Catholicity to it. Because it's more generic? No, because there's more diversity. So yeah, like more generic. More is that what it I mean generic? Well, in other words, it's broad enough that it can yeah. take mm -hmm. so many different forms. The only issue is that Catholic means pertaining to the whole. In order, in order to have whole, it needs to be one. So that's the issue, is like maybe yes, Protestantism is diverse. I mean, it's and so is really every tradition of Christianity is rather diverse, but um, there really is only one church that is one. You know what I mean? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you say it has to be one, the question is one of what, right? And we're kind of back where we started. Because yeah. I mean, like even the Catholic Church is saying the church like subsists, the universal church subsists in the, the institution of the mm -hmm. Catholic Church, but it's like, goodness, you know, I, I think it's inviting the interpretation that the universal church is not exhausted by the institution of the, the Roman Catholic Church. Yeah. You know, I think they're trying to reach toward the same kind of idea themselves, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. What I think it, it comes down to the differences like of like priority. It's like they they recognize that like the Catholic Church is the center. And then yeah, the, like, as the rings go outward, it's like Everything kind of gets brought into it. You know, the point I was making when I said there's only one church that can plausibly claim to be the universal church is like, is if another particular church tries it, it just it just seems like too ridiculous. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it does. It does. <laughs> that That's what I, you know, I've been thinking about, like, one of the issues I've had with, like, Protestant pastors is, like, the issue of authority. It's like, they never seem to have their same authority as like, like, I feel like Orthodox and Catholic priests, they're like, <clears throat> like you can, you can feel this, something more divine behind them. I don't know. I I mean, you, you've seen some in, in, in Texas, at least I've seen some Protestant pastors that were pretty impressive. Like um, what, what's his name in the, um, it's like the, is it John G. Lake Ministries Church? His name is Curry. I can't remember his first name. 
And I mean, there's serious people everywhere. It's just if you're if you're trying to logic it out, it's just really. I mean, like for me, the really hard argument, um, if we're doing it, if we're making arguments, um, uh, was like not even like why should you be Catholic, but like why shouldn't you? So in other words, why should you assume that the Holy Spirit did? just leave the church after a certain number of councils because everyone with orthodox christology and, and you know, trinitarian theology is assuming some number of councils is is, is valid mm-hmm. yeah like like at least the first five or something like that yeah but they might be picking and choosing which elements of the councils to take but but see the thing is like the question is for me it was always like this Protestants will say, I'm not Catholic because when I look at Catholicism, it doesn't look like what I see when I read the Bible. And mm-hmm. when you read the Bible, though, um, as a Protestant, you're not just reading it as it is. You're reading it through the lens of at least five councils, because the idea that I would just sit down with the Bible and then and then from a plain reading, quote unquote, of the New Testament, derive all the orthodox um christology and trinitarian theology is just ludicrous um and as we see in history it did take centuries for these ideas to develop so anyone who's an orthodox christian um uh, as most protestants are coming as they do from from deeply entrenched traditions um they're reading the bible you know again through through the lens of these of these councils there um and and so you know, when they when they look at Catholicism and they don't see it matching up to the Bible as read through the lens of, say, five councils. Um, that, in a sense, is to be expected because you aren't reading it through the lens of all the councils. Um, but it does raise the question of why you're not reading it through the lens of all the councils. Hmm. Um, uh, you know, uh, why? Uh, why only five? Why not zero councils? Um, and I suppose there are people who think they are reading it through the lens of no councils. Yeah, I feel like that's and, most of my they, tradition. <laughs> but they they generally are not to the extent that they affirm something like the Trinity at all, which, of course, the word Trinity is not in uh, the Bible. The nature of Jesus' divinity, like this idea that he's a divine person with two natures, a human nature and a divine nature. And even if you're going to get fine-grained about it, uh, two, uh, two intellects, a human and a divine intellect, and two wills, a human will and a divine will, um, that is not in the New Testament, um, you know, to be, to be found through some plain reading um, of stuff. And so, again, yeah, the, the idea that, well, Catholicism just doesn't match up with the Bible as I read it through the lens of five councils, as far as I'm concerned, it's just raising the question of why are you reading it through the lens of five councils? You, why not all? Mm-hmm. Uh, why? And, and, and so like, um, I guess, you know, the idea is that the Holy spirit, we just know somehow that the Holy spirit abandoned the, <laughs> the conciliar process at some point. We just know that mm-hmm. even though it says in the new Testament that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth, uh, yeah. of the truth. It doesn't say scripture is, it says scripture yeah. is inspired for all these different re- purposes, but it says what's the pillar in the ground? It says it's the church, mm. and yet they imagine <laughs> that from scripture, which never says any such thing, they're getting the idea that the spirit fled the the conciliar process that gave them 
what they believe in the first place about the books, which are were also the product of the of the church, and it's just it's it's so, um, it's so indefensible, really. If yeah. you're looking at it from that kind of logical standpoint, I think the only really good reason to be Protestant is through some kind of inertia slash slash um, ignorance. It sounds uncharitable, but I mean mm -hmm. not having thought about it. No, I've been thinking a lot about that too. It's like, I think like the majority of Protestants out there really mean well, you know, they're yeah. like honest, good people. I mean, we're really good friends with Protestants and my, I, myself, I feel like I've always just taken my faith seriously. I never was like, um, although, you know, I was very anti-Catholic growing up yeah. because my yeah. father was an ex-Catholic and, you know, it's just like, it came with all this baggage that I had inherited yeah. Like to your to your point, another thing too is like another problem with like building the building a church off of the Bible is that the the Bible's not the New Testament's not um like a manual on how to make a church. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's a description of how the church was made. You know, yeah. if you read if you read the end of the gospels and then into Acts and 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 you read like the letters of Paul and Peter and James and yeah. Jude, all in the, yeah. that context, you're witnessing the creation of the church. You know, you're not you're not like, oh, so now if you want to go off and start your own church, you just follow these steps. You got to have elders right, and deacons, right, right, you know, right, right. that's, that's such not a how it works. Mindset. <laughs> Yeah. That, that like it's a manual five point plan yeah for the establishment <laughs> of churches yeah no it's it's really i mean again i think if that's your whole world and your whole culture then it makes sense and indeed god is totally operative through that you know um but but if you're if you're actually just asking the question uh you know did the holy spirit for some uh, indiscernible reason just choose to abandon um, the church that you know so in, in, in Acts it says it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us that you would do da 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 mm -hmm. you wouldn't eat the animals that were str strangled which now is no longer a regulation as far as I know for pretty much any Christian um, and so it's suggesting some further development of doctrine even from that point but it says it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us, suggesting that at that time, at least, they were able to seek the counsel of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. But yeah, again, you just you just if you're asking the question, did the Holy Spirit at some point choose to leave for some unknow essentially unknowable reason and some reason which is really unverifiable in principle, because he could have left from whatever you know, ecclesiology or methodology you're using to uh, discover um, the departure of the Holy Spirit from the Catholic Church, too, you know, then it, it, once you ask that question, it's just it really can't be answered any other way you know, as, as far as as far as I can see. So that's kind of why. Mm. I, well, from a rational level, that was kind of why I I converted. But but, you know, there's really more to it than that. Of course. Uh, yeah, no, it was. Yeah, because uh, when I was, I was really in a in a season of seeking, like, I wanted some kind of, I, I what, you know, like a voice, uh, uh, like an audible voice almost, like that, that kind of confirmation or, or relationship with God. 
And interestingly, the only, uh, the only, let's say, person who really showed up and did things like that was, was the Virgin Mary, building on a dream that I had had before I even wanted to be Catholic. And still after having it, I, I didn't care to be Catholic, but she kind of, it seemed, used that dream as well as other things, signal graces and little signs and coincidences. Um, and 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 um, uh, that that kind of met me where I was at because I I I I wanted something like that. Um, and you know, like I went up to was yeah Curry Blake's ministry and, and John G Lake Ministries because I saw that they those people really had the Holy Spirit, and I thought you know I'll be healed up there and I'll really see the signs up there. And I saw something that was quite quite interesting. Somebody had a word about me that was that was quite quite compelling because he didn't know me at all. But but um, but I wasn't healed up there. Um, uh, you know, it, it seemed that uh, the signs, you know, like a thin, you know, though they were just a thin trickle, they they were still coming from the the Catholic direction. So I just kind of followed followed that. But it's participatory in a, in a yeah. sense. It won't. It won't really happen unless you're looking for it to happen more than likely. Mm -hmm. Which is not to say that it's not real. You know, I suppose that there's a confusion um, that imaginary and real are somehow antonyms. When in in the in the final analysis, they are not mutually exclusive, and that in fact, whatever we see is a kind of delayed manifest. You know, whatever we see in perceptual reality is a kind of delayed manifestation of of imaginal our reality wow that's a very neat interesting thought um you know it kind of reminds me of what brad jerzak said when i chatted with him like we're not just imagining truth we are we are imagining truth you know what i mean when when you when you close your eyes and pray and try to visualize jesus's face you're seeing him you know it's not it's kind of like creating an icon in your mind in a way who do you say that i am Hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's can get a little bit like uh, Ignatian, I suppose. Mm. I have a friend who tries to imagine uh, Jesus uh, kind of like just sitting in his office and drinking coffee with him. It's kind of stuff I used to try to do. I would imagine Jesus riding shotgun in the car with me. Um, yeah, the vineyard charismatic movement was all about this. It was all about like using imagination, which is, yeah, isn't that like a that's some sort of contemplative practice using using the imagination like vision visualizing things while you pray kind of yeah. puts you there yeah so like my brother's church when he was when they were a vineyard before they fell apart they did a lot of that kind of stuff and he would tell me about like you know these these times where like he these memories that he'd have, but then like he'd visualize the memory and be like, "Oh, Jesus was there, standing there." It's neat stuff. Yeah, you know, and and even then, I wonder if uh, the time will not come in the future when you will see him, like as it were, like like face to face, like that, and, and realer than real. Um, and there will be a time for that, too. But for whatever reason, it's something which God has decided to delay, just like the delay of the, you know, the, the parousia. Um, uh, it's it's something that 
you know, it's a kind of, it's like God has preferred to uh, make his strength perfect in weakness, something like that. He's, he's deliberately hidden himself. Um, though in truth, he's not far from any one of us. Um, he's, he's hidden himself so that we would grow in, in, in character, really, you know, just like the way that parent, a parent takes your hand away from a child who's learning to walk. It must be something like this. Um, cause, uh, yeah, without, without that, without that, um, that absence and sort of going it alone or with, with, uh, what minimal cueing, let's say, um, you know, it's not, it's not really going to be that, that development of character, um, Sometimes maybe it's even dangerous to get too much kind of perceptual confirmation of every of one's every spiritual or theological whim. A little bit like what the what the Buddhists said when they said, if you see the Buddha on the road, just kill the Buddha. Or like the Desert Fathers, you know, like they would mm -hmm. they would view any kind of perceptual yeah. display as really coming from the devil, who's kind of tempting you with what is superficial. Um, and, and God is more so to be found in, in the silence, uh, you know, in the still small voice or maybe even just just the silence, which which nonetheless seems to issue or sound from a place of repletion or, 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 or completeness. Mm. So, yeah, it's very it's very interesting. Of course, it does it does, of course, uh, make you think of all that mystical stuff. It does. I love that kind of stuff. I always found that interesting. I remember when I was looking into um, orthodoxy for a while, I'd come across like those desert fathers who were like, don't trust any vision. And that kind of gave me a bad taste for like Marian appar apparitions. Cause then it's like, mm. Oh, well it must've mm. been the devil showing up to those children, you know, in <laughs> Fatima or whatever. Good. So right. that was, that was really hard for me. But then as I've kind of grown in a relationship with Mary so to speak, it's like I've kind of come to, you know, I can at least investigate it without fear, you know. Isn't that an odd thing, first of all, that we feel compelled to use language like, you know, there are relationship with Mary, but look, yeah. when in the in the New Testament, it's clear that the Father is invisible, distant, essentially unreachable, but the Son represents him as far as his, I mean, like it is actually an impossibility because he's the image of something invisible. But he does. If you see me, you see the Father. He represents him fully, um, so that in him the Godhead was pleased to dwell. You know, the fullness of the Godhead mm -hmm. was pleased to dwell in him bodily. And so, but the thing is, what happens to Jesus at the end of the New Testament? He ascends. It's like, why do you stare, O man of Galilee? He's going to return. The same way that he has he has left and so um um he he becomes himself like distant and and unreachable like in the revelation um says to the one who conquers i'll give him the right to sit at my right hand just as in the creeds we say jesus says uh in the, in the creeds we say jesus sits at the right hand wow. of the father and in revelation it's he who's seated on the great white throne which is so interesting because when i first read that i thought it was a representation of the father on the great white throne mm. just as in daniel he sees he sees the, the one youth, like a son of man 
Yeah, he sees the Metatron or the, the one like the Son of Man, and he sees the Ancient of Days. So he sees, in other words, a visual representation of the Invisible Father. So I thought that was what Revelation was. But then I realized most interpreters actually view that as Jesus on the throne. So anyway, my point is Jesus has become himself deified and invisible. Mm, wow. And 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 um and then what happens is inevitably you seek a mediator to that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and 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 well, and it's very interesting. It's just it's just very interesting the way that it, it Mary has been the one who has been so perceptually obvious mm-hmm. in later Catholic revelation. She's running around doing this and that. She's everywhere, right? And yeah. you know she's animating the statue and making it you know uh, sweat blood and things like that and and um well Jesus is still in visions too which is itself like yeah it would be you know if I'm trying to be too neat with this theory <clears throat> that would be a disproof of what I'm saying and but there is something about a symbolic hierarchy is all I'm trying yeah. to say oh yeah for sure where where what is what is perceptual and obvious is in a certain way feminine. Mm. and more immediate and more earthly like the word material itself mater because like madera it means wood but it also if you understand it it's the feminine mother wow yeah material Um, yes and so anyway that's the first thing i said like because i think you do kind of come to know mary except that from the word go with with me mary said something that i think like thomas at least would consider fairly dark or like hard to understand or coming from another quarter like the devil but um she told me that the way of seeing that i was becoming advanced in was was one where each person who is seen is seen as equally superlative so in other words don't ever see your advancement on this path as being at others expense um so it's a little bit almost paradoxical a la the first will be last but not because whoever sees himself as first will be last, but not because God himself sees that person as last. That would be sort of pushing things into the realm of now we are literally in a who is least competitive competition that is extremely zero-sum and competitive. But if you ever mistake, make the mistake of actually seeing it or conceptualizing it for what it is, then you'll be last, which might make you first, make you last. It's like just so weird. But it's like I think really the point is that in the kingdom, each one is first. But if you see your your uh advancement or elevation as being at others expense or your success as coming at others expense you won't see as god sees and including yourself you will not you will not see yourself as god sees you um which is really in another way to say that you won't you won't really know who you are you know at all but um yeah that was the first point i was going to make the second thing i was going to say was uh having to do with uh the, the thing that was the real central preoccupation of the first either third or half of my of my second kind of obscure podcast but the, the thing that it's about the positive and the permissive will of god because um uh, if we're looking at what is perceptual as like automatically being demoted in status or automatically being suspect you know that uh it's it's to it's to overlook Um, a distinction between like the permissive and the positive will, which is a very um, fruitful hermeneutical framework for looking at scripture. Um, Because basically whatever tends in the direction of integration or healing, uh, reconciliation, um, you would say it's his right hand will. It's his positive will. Mm -hmm. 
and whatever um, is is leading things to be broken down or destroyed um, uh, is his is his left hand will, including I would say even the 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 uh, the enemies of God when they like when when uh, Paul what did he stretch out his hand or he cursed somebody and he made made him blind. And, you know, from the permissive positive will distinction framework, it's like the way you would see something like that is that God did not put the blindness on that man so much as uh, what ceased to restrain some some evil spirit that was always already there trying to blind him. This is the kind of thing that you would get into if you're if you're actually really seriously trying to apply. If you're a madman. <laughs> well, maybe, but but I think that actually um, it makes incredible sense once you really work it out. Because otherwise, you just get stuff like this, like this meme that I saw. That's like, love does not judge, and it keeps no record of wrongs. And yet, what do we see in the great white throne judgment of Revelation? Uh, but yeah. that a, a judgment that comes from literally having kept this exhaustive yeah. record of wrongs. Um, wow. And and so the thing is, the, the question there is whether that negative judgment is that God's right hand will, is it coming from God himself or is it something that he's allowing? I Is it actually even a self-condemnation which God is allowing for the for the larger constructive purpose of his of his own final judgment, which in a sense is a non-judgment, a seeing of the mm. person's identity as unlimited like God's own, um, which non-judgment in it can also be understood equivalently all more or less as forgiveness and as love um uh but um now now i'm i'm kind of i'm, I'm worried i'm wondering how this ties into mary because we were that's what we were talking about at one well point. what i'm talking about <laughs> is that we have the visions and the experiences and it was like well it's a vision and an experience therefore it comes from the devil no um talking about the positive and the permissive wills okay. of god what what is integrative um is 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 you can see it as is the right hand of god but what is from his right hand the the you know the things like the signs and the wonders and the healing mm. they are from him um because the devil cannot create by himself he can only destroy mm. But whatever is to be created anew can only come directly. So in other words, like it ha like, okay. So like in there's Chronicles and Samuel, Samuel says the devil moved up, moved David to make, to do the census that was against God's stated will. Chronicle, Chronicles, no, I'm sorry, I missed it up. Samuel says God moved David to do the census that was against God's own will. Chronicles, oh. it says the devil moved david to the census that was against god's will so who yeah. did it well the um, interesting thing about chronicles and samuels is that samuel was was written before chronicles was written years later as like kind of a reinterpretation like looking back at history you know what i mean so so, so i think there was like something political happening when they were writing chronicles and that might have been yeah that's fine, but if one wants to take this kind of literal or inerrantist approach to yeah, the Bible, true. it's a big problem. So um, the the point is, it 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 both it both they're both true, but some some okay. things happen happen through God's permissive will okay. is when He allows somebody else to do something which was in line with His whole plan. What you meant for evil, He meant for you, good. You know, so, you could even go all the way back to the garden and be like, was it the devil's will to? 
tempt it was Eve. god's permissive will that the fall happened and you know yeah. that because the fall resulted in something which in the short term was bad yeah. so but anyway so what i'm saying is the healings and the signs and the wonders okay they're they are his positive will because they're creative they can only come with so in other words permissive will is not done through god's direct agency but what is creative must come from his direct agency because no one else has the power to create so mm. They, they are they are his right hand he did it you know that he did it himself or like through an angel mm -hmm. or whatever like the angel of healing or through jesus he created everything but um they're not what is most ultimate mm. just because they came yeah. from the right hand doesn't mean that they're what's <clears throat> most, most ultimate but that doesn't automatically mean that they're suspect either to be distrusted there are levels of wholeness and integration as we ascend toward the one you might say yeah, and like let's say let's say it was initially the devil's will to try to you know deceive people by showing this apparition of Mary, but then what if what if the fruit of it is that more people come to the faith, more people join the church, more people are drawn closer to Jesus? It's like that often is what happens after Marian apparitions is people more people come yes. to the faith, more people are yes, drawn you'll to Jesus. know them by their fruits. Yeah, right. And and the house divided against itself will not stand. <laughs> Why would and, the and so, exactly? Yeah. Why would the devil want to deceive people into the church? <laughs> Doesn't make that's any sense. That, but that is essentially what many Protestants are trying to say on TikTok in various places. Um, and and that was part of why you know when I thought about these things, I ended up becoming a Catholic, and then I trusted mm -hmm. uh, what what seemed to come from Mary, including my own dream that is very much against like Thomas ideology. And I use that word <laughs> intentionally of, of like, like, because it's like, okay, it's like the principle of predilection that you read about in Garrigou Lagrange's book on predestination, um, where it's like no one creature would be better than another were it not for God loving that creature more. So what's pious and arguably correct about this is that it's saying that, that the grace that, that gives you some virtue um, or the grace that is represented by your possession of some virtue um, is from God and not from you. So if I have more of some virtue than you, it just means that God, in effect, loves me more. But what, the way they see it is there's one absolute hierarchy on which God loves Jesus the most, Mary second most, maybe St. Joseph the third most. <laughs> Peter Lesperance is down there, like maybe number 650,000. Yeah, or exactly. <laughs> And you know, and, and I and I'm and I'm like the millionth. So <laughs> Peter wouldn't be better unless it were the case that God loves Peter more. And but see, they're viewing it as one absolute hierarchy. But what mm -hmm. I believe Mary told me in my dream, although in the truth in the dream there was no, there were no words said at all, just, just a sense of a message that I had to kind of put words really? to. But but um, is that is that um, you might say this that for every person God has created. A unique hierarchy for that person alone to be at the top of as god sees each person is first sort of like in nicholas of kusa's uh, davis yone day the vision of god intentionally ambiguous because is it your vision of god or is it god's vision of you and if we're looking at the absolutely simple god of catholic theology the answer must in the end be yes um uh you know god sees each person as if they're the only person who exists and yet somehow in his infiniteness sees everyone simultaneously um and and something about that must be true um and there are even deeper levels that i could go in 
um, to that, but uh, it, it gets, like I said, maybe levels of structure. Some of the levels are prohibitively Hegelian yeah. <laughs> and abstract. Um, yeah, but um, but uh, you're always yeah, on I'll, the fringes. I mean, I'm <laughs> the ticklers. Yeah. They're like they're reaching out like like the edges of a cell, like trying to reach yeah. for something. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think a lot of people would assume I can't be both Catholic and a heretic. But I think that what I, what I learned that allowed me to even dare uh, uh, contemplating such a move, the move of conver converting and, and joining the church, is that you can. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, like Julian of Norwich said that between the self and God, there is no between. Well, obviously, if if even the Pope can be a heretic, then anybody can be a heretic, right? <laughs> that's That's actually a much... A uh, better way to state it. I'm kidding. We love the Blessed Father, or whatever you call him, uh, the Vicar of Christ, the Supreme mm. Pontiff. Mm. Uh, what's his name? His real name? Oh, uh, Bergoglio. Bergoglio. Yeah. Pope Francis. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um. Yeah. All that to say. That yes, at first I was afraid of Mary. I was terrified. I was I and the weird thing is like um at the time I was like pretty dead set on becoming Orthodox. And even within the Orthodox Church, they they think they think very highly of Mary, but I think it's yeah. just like it's more well, pronounced in the Catholicism. I, it is, it is actually, yeah. I mean, all ancient forms of Christianity do actually revere mary to a degree that protestantism is uncomfortable with because mm -hmm. the prayers of veneration of mary are, are very ancient like mm -hmm. the subtubum praesidium um but uh yeah i think the, the the catholic church takes it to an even greater extreme and has taken it to increasing extremes as time has gone on and as doctrine has developed further you know including yeah. the the, the, the doctrines of Mary's assumption and of her coronation as the queen of heaven and uh, even uh, a dogma which has not been proclaimed, but uh, which there is a movement within the Catholic church. I think it's sort of losing, losing momentum actually yeah. um, uh, to, to get a fifth uh, dogma proclaimed um, or a sixth, whatever the, yeah. the enumeration would be that Mary is the, the mediatrix of all graces, which mm -hmm. is something that she said in, um, uh, her apparition at i want to i'm the word that's coming to mind is the Hague, but i'm not sure that's actually it but it was some dutch city or someplace mm -hmm. and um uh and she said some weird stuff in that in that in that revelation which i i always gravitate toward what, what is weird and what doesn't make sense um like in, in personal and private or perceptual mm -hmm. and visual or vivid sensory revelation because um you know, like Catherine of Siena said that Mary told her that uh, Mary is not immaculately conceived, you know, and that later is that's the antithesis of what what later gets enshrined as dogma. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's interesting to me. But like in this in this apparition at like oh, is she they call her like Our Lady of All Nations or something like that. And uh, oh, thank you so much. They call her Our Lady of All Nations or something like that. And she says like you're to call me the Lady of All Nations, Mediatrix of All Graces who once was Mary or something like that. It's like, wait, what? who once was Mary? <laughs> it's like, 
It's oh, like you're boy. not Mary anymore. And she's like, yeah. no, like I'm a, you know, I'm a like a I'm a force majeure now. I'm like a kind of world transcending almost like, you know, uh I don't know. It's like it's weird. Like, um, but and they they took that language out of like whatever was edited and officially released for consumption, you know, to the faithful. Um, but uh, but that's kind of but that's what that's what she actually said in it. And you know that that's just that's just kind of weird and interesting. Um, I I don't I don't know what to make about about stuff like that. But you don't have to believe the private revelation. Yeah, uh, you don't have to believe it. Uh, even Fatima is not is not. But it's somehow I think among the the more the more faithful Catholics, it's like to not believe in Fatima is like a sign of like atheism. But if you yeah. believe in like all the apparitions and stuff, it's like it, it you it's like it's weird and it doesn't <laughs> obviously fit together. <laughs> so it's, it's just... really interesting the la salette one i was just there this past week and um you know it was so funny because the whole it's around christmas time la salette shrine is basically like the six flags of mm. shrines mm. <laughs> <You know? laughs> wow. so many people are just so irreverently like the parking like it's crowded people it gets backed up miles down the street people wait hours to just get into the parking lot and yeah. um <clears throat> and people are walking around because they have like lights they set up lights around the whole shrine around the whole rosary walk and it's it's beautiful and they have all these signs that like talk about like the history of santa claus and lots of other things but the the one it was really striking to really like um just like take a moment to take in the shrine the area of the shrine that was about the apparition at La Salette. These two French mm. kids, um, basically like on the hillside on a mountain in mm. in France, like in the Alps. Yes. And they're just like walking around and then they look down into the valley and there Mary is sitting by like a little pond and she's has her face down and she's crying. So then they walk down and like talk to her and ask her why she's crying. And I forget what what she, all the things that she says. I read like one of the signs or something. Yeah. But then after they after she talks, she walks up the mountain in this zigzag formation. When she gets to the top of the the peak of the hill, she levitates off the ground and then disappears. Yeah. Yeah. Like that is that's some fascinating stuff. Well, generally, what she's crying about is like she's like not enough people are fasting, and this is yeah. causing like the hand the arm of my son to become so heavy. Wow. that i'm trying to hold it up this is so weird because it's always she's positioning herself as the mediator between you and her son this is so interesting um mm -hmm. because of course in the new testament jesus is the mediator between us and the father but i'm yep. just suggesting that given like the symbolic world or what have you given this mm -hmm. kind of natural hierarchy that exists uh in the world of symbolic expression if you deify Jesus, which the Catholic Church did, and all other churches are just following mm -hmm. uh, the Catholic Church's lead on this, essentially, or they're just coming out of this this this, this tr tradition, um, then that's what you that's what it makes sense symbolically to get. But anyway, Mary is like his hand is so heavy; it's, it's he doesn't want it to fall, and I'm trying to hold it up. But if it but it's gonna fall, and if it falls, it's gonna cause wars, like World War One. Or I wow. Think World War you know, one of them was Fatima. Fatima was an explicit warning about, you know, and then in the Our Lady of Tebejo in Rwanda, 
a warning against the genocide that was to follow and which was not which wow. was not avoided uh, through uh you know penance with sackcloth and ashes and, so, and, and that wow. thing and um, that is so like always, old testament it is it is and then the question is you know like in the old testament it's like does evil come to sit to a city and i not to it i create light and i create darkness or you know is it like in the in the new testament he's the father of lights um and uh you know from him uh you know it's like in him there's no darkness at all except for those times that he sends an evil spirit to saul no i'm just kidding there's no <laughs> darkness at all there's nothing comes from him except lights mm -hmm. okay isn't he doesn't he doesn't change like shifting shadows he only permits the um, shadows and, right <laughs> yes that's exactly what i'm yeah. suggest, suggesting so like in the old uh -huh. testament says the evil that comes to a city is the evil that he permits mm -hmm. and, and it's and it's um uh, that that he cannot in a sense here's a way to phrase it um for our own good he ca he cannot he cannot allow greater good to happen to us by restraining the evil anymore it now becomes in our own interest for the for us to face the consequences of our actions just like when you have a, a child who is, uh, say, addicted to drugs or something, and at some point you have to show them tough love by not mm -hmm. helping instead of helping. Yeah. So that's that's. But when you're not helping, it's not like you're hitting. So yeah. So yeah. So there's kind the, of that. Yeah. And the Jewish understanding of the wrath of God was that God turns away. Yeah. So what he's not, he's not do actively. Yeah. Rage, like raging against the people yeah just him turning away and that's why yes the... and you see it's it's not marcionism to just to just observe a kind of um uh the the doctrine of god becoming more sophisticated from the old testament to the new it's not marcionism mm -hmm. you see yeah. that within the old testament itself it's evolving from less to more sophisticated conceptions of god as as rabbinic judaism has reached a still more sophisticated conception of god in many respects you know uh in, the, in their commentaries and, and things like that, than what was in the Hebrew, than what appears to be the explicit black letter surface level meaning of various passages of the Hebrew Bible. So, mm. yeah, yeah. So it, it seems not, like it's not automatically to be met with charges of Marcionism. That's just yeah. that's just silly. No, I hear you. I hear you. Marcionism is basically the idea that uh, the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are different, completely mm. different guys. Right. Right. And that that's also often a claim I hear from a lot of like liberal scholars or like college professors or college students, you know, like yeah, yeah. the Old Testament God is way different than Jesus. Jesus was just a chill hippie. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, the point about um, Mary getting heavy, and, you know, think about like literally Jesus's body, Jesus bodily resurrected and bodily assumed into heaven. Mm. Mary, Mary literally like Jesus is literally Mary's flesh, you know, and, and think about like the yes. way your mother feels about you or, or way your, your wife feels about their kids. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. they are, when you have a kid, that is your flesh. Well, you feel their pain. Like right. my wife feels my children's pain more than I feel it because she, she literally had them in them. So, so mm. the idea that Mary is like, just goes from like being his earthly mother and then and of no consequence in in heaven you know what i mean like <laughs> it doesn't really 
it's not not really it doesn't really logically follow that like mary's just willfully blissfully ignorant floating well, in a cloud in heaven you know just on, on on the question of whether saints can intercede for us george mcdonald simply asked is why should my power why should my love be powerless to help another which was interesting because he just mm. he just met that question with another question um but um you know what i think about mary that's kind of interesting is that if she has um achieved theosis and what that means for her is that she loves each of us as much as she loves her son Whoa. or Whoa, to the yeah. to the to the you might even like to the if it were possible like to the same infinite degree right so um well god which, became... which means you love each person in a different way a way that's not commensurable with the way you love any other person but nonetheless mm. it's like the intensity is like the same kind of intensity for you and me as as for her own son. That's what I would think her theosis would mean. Throughout Jesus' uh, life, and and well, in Jesus' life, he demonstrated that I and the Father are one, you know, mm, even mm. as a human. Like, it's not something that he had to earn. Mm. Ju he just was one. Mm. And if, if we are united with Christ, like, what does it mean to be united with Christ, if not also united in his will, in the way mm. he feels about other people. Right, 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 right. Like right, that's right, where right. that's where Christian compassion comes from is seeing right. the divine image in other people. Right. Why do you right. care about the divine image in other people unless you also have the divine image in you, like the divine Right, divinity, right, right. You know? Right. There's something is a little bit off to the side, a little tangential, but it's something I was thinking about this morning because it's a hard passage where Jesus says, Whoever loves uh father or mother or son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. But you notice he says more than me and not more than I do. So it's like, what if you, what if you tried to love your son or daughter more than Jesus does? I think you would find that even if you love them with every fiber of your being, you wouldn't succeed in loving them as much as Jesus does. So he's not actually saying it's possible to love your son or daughter too much, which makes me think that when he says love, he means it in a different way than the true way of agape, which has mm -hmm. no limit, cannot be limited. Um, and and means, so, yeah. Worship. It I think it like means the way that whatever essentially conditional way that 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 parents love their children, quote unquote love, when and but then like disown them when they don't go to medical school or something like that. <laughs> you know, the to love the way that the world loves, which is just to like treat your child as like this kind of avatar of you, and they have to live up to all these expectations because they're representing you, or like the way that a, a husband loves his trophy wife. It's kind of loving in this very selfish like function filler it's not agopic it's not selfless and i think that's what he meant um when he said whoever loves more than me because he meant in the earthly way of loving um and um and so what it is what it is related to is like the oneness i and the father are one it's a way of seeing according to which each one seen is is equally superlative it's it's a non-hierarchical or rather uh, what hyper hierarchical such that every person you see is at the top of the hierarchy that's like something like this mm. like to, to be in the same nature as the infinite one yeah um be, you know this because it's quite interesting because because the theosis like you know people say if everything is god then nothing is god but that can only be true for finite identifiers if god mm. is infinite then he is able what to share divinity with each of his children and be no less god something like this yeah, it's actually very serious. Well, you know, high priestly prayer, Jesus in John 17 says, I pray to the father that they would be one as mm. 
me and the father are one. Right. Not like, like, I, and I'm pretty sure that as is like equivocating, right? It's like in the same way that the father and I are one, that they would be one with I and the father and each other. Mm. There'd be this level of unity. Right. And I was just thinking about like going back to Mary as like Jesus be through his earthly ministry demonstrated the path to divinity right he demonstrated the path of theosis and in his earthly ministry and even now like it's a continual like he's i feel like jesus is even like no no i'm not going to say that he's not infinitely growing into god he is god no but <laughs> he he advanced in wisdom and stature he he he's advancing no, remember then, that part in Luke's gospel where it says he grew as a child in wisdom and stature? Wow. What is that? He grew in his earthly life, but ontologically he was always God. But mm -hmm. he was also a mediator, and he, and, he, and he wanted us to follow his path. So it would make sense that really it's not just Mary who's mediatrix. We're all mediators. You know, we're correct. all mediators. We're that all called correct. to be. And the closer we get to Jesus... The more like Jesus, the we're going to be a mediator. Correct. The more we're going to be a mediator. We are a mediator, and that like makes sense of like, why do I even need to go to church? Why do I even need a community? Why can't I just be me and Jesus? Because, in order for you to grow into Jesus, you need to be with in community with other people. You know, that is the part of the program. It's not. It's not optional. Very well. Yeah, it's it's very very serious business. I I, I like it. Um, mm -hmm. I I guess I'm I, in a way like I, you know, I I joke a little bit, but but I, I feel like I'm very kind of serious, almost grim person. But yeah. it's because I have a well. I mean, I don't know. I was an atheist for twelve years, so um, to take something with this level of seriousness, it's like something that I I really have that contrast condition. Like I don't, I don't take God for granted in a certain sense. Mm -hmm. So I, that, that quality of seriousness is something that that I really um, appreciate. I, I yeah. like, I like these kinds of conversations. Well, um, you know, it, it's also there's uh there's joy, right? It's not just like this. There's not like this heavy weight to it. To me, it gives me joy because yes. like, otherwise, otherwise, you know. My entire life, my entire Christian life has been a very lonesome journey. There's been a few mm. times in my life where I've really felt discipled and connected with different mm. people. Mm. But, you know, and in the grand scheme of things, like, or at large, I don't know what the word is, like, for the most part, it was a lonesome journey. It was, it was a journey of me and Jesus. And yeah. that was important. Like, it was important for me to make that connection with Jesus. But, um, yeah. you know, as I get older, you realize you really can't do it on your own. And if you try to do it on your own, God will break you. Hmm. He will. And, and right. he'll put you through hell. He'll put you through purgatory on earth. Right. And you're gonna, and you're gonna burn away. If, if you, if, if you really want to, if he really wants you, and if, if you really want to grow and stick with the program, he's going to, He's going to bring you to the knees, break you down and make it so it's yes. impossible for you to do it otherwise. 
Yes, because because the like um you know like if the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. What it is is like finding your your true identity, which is mm -hmm. ultimately an unlimited identity, like the the identity of the one in whose image we have we have been created. And um, uh, what it is is like like in the the bodhisattva, like in Buddhism, like um the bodhisattva he forgoes. He's the door is open to nirvana for him. Like he can step into that place of non-desire, which is theoretically blissful. Um, and, and yet um, he chooses to forgo his own enlightenment and salvation um, uh, because he wants to save everybody else first. And then the question is, is his salvation something that he must still receive later after his work is done? Um, and he turns out the lights and hell, so to speak, or is it something which he's already achieved, which already exists in his selfless um, agopic identification with all um, of, of those suffering souls? Is it already in the love that the lightness and the freedom um, of salvation and enlightenment, you know, exist? And um, and then so it's like that with the, the suffering it I, it breaks down these these things that inside you that you identify with but they're not really your they might be levels of your identity but they're not the highest level uh, for sure um and and so um they when you lose those attachments you are more able to 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 empathize with other people um you are more able to like self like identify in a selfless way with other people and in and that is like where the the liberation and the sort of the lightness of of being, that's the and and the joy, the the life of ages, zoin aonion, um, that's that's where it really comes in, you know, um, and uh, but yeah, the the way through it is through the 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 sanctification, so that God could do the signs and the wonders and the miracles, but somehow it's like almost spiritual junk food or something. Mm. doesn't actually make you better um at least it, it only to a certain only to a certain degree you know um uh he gives you what you need one might suppose yeah um but but um uh yeah the 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 way it is the, the you know the way to to theosis um is subtractive or purgatorial um for mm. sure and if it wasn't that way jesus wouldn't have gone to the cross and he wouldn't have made the condition of being his disciple also picking up your cross and following him. You know, it just yeah. it just wouldn't it just wouldn't be that. You know, I think I think there are some paths that are at least easier, have less resistance. Like if you resist it less, there's gonna be less resistance, yeah. maybe, you know. That makes sense. And no, then, it makes well, that's, it makes sense. That's but then if you resist it, the more you resist it, the more of hell it becomes, right? Like well, the other question is, how much are you capable of of um, of of not resisting it? You know, it's some something like that. Like at a certain point, you just you're not able. Um, because yeah, like it's a, it's like uh, you know, a, it's the eye of a needle. In in your a you're a rope or a camel. Hmm. There's gonna be resistance there, and you're gonna have to lose a lot to get through that eye. You know? yeah i mean yeah it's 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 like there's there's a kind of um it's an almost dangerous tendency that, that that happens sometimes where it's like if if you really just if you really just pray hard enough like super hard enough 
and, and study your Bible hard enough, then you will get everything um, uh, that that you would say it is God's positive will to give you, including the healing and the and the this and that. But if you know if that was true, Jesus wouldn't have been crucified, because um, it, 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 it there's well. I mean, one can always just say Jesus is, is just a totally special and distinct case. Um, but um, no, there's there's a certain point where it's like like he's consigned all to disobedience so that he can have mercy on all. There's 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 just a certain point where your own inability to um, uh, your your own inability to 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 be pious and and fast and pray and do the things that are needed for your healing is like it's 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 factored in and it's and it's all and also it's sort of by design because um if everyone was like this if there would be no creation and no you know the creation in a certain sense is just otherness than god and some will other than his own yeah and if, if you if didn't it, if you didn't fail on your own then you wouldn't need god you would be god you know it's like yeah, you need for other, real. And you then, need and then he people. wouldn't have created anyone or anything distinct from him. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, you wouldn't need other people. I was I kept it keeps coming to mind about Sartre's quote quote, um, hell is other people. Like you need <laughs> the funny. other people, you know. I know he meant it in like a negative sense, like, oh, it's a it's like it's a hell to to it's it's like hell to deal with other people. But I mean it mm -hmm. in more like a positive purgative sense. Hmm. Hell is other people, you know what I mean? That's like that's really good. When yeah. you're living in community, and that was kind of like my original point was like, we need a community, we need people, and and those other people are hell, you know, <laughs> because or they're purgatory in a way, you know what I mean? Because they yeah, they help us become like God. Yeah. Even even in yeah, even in um, you know, the whole permissive and and positive will positive. thing is making me think a lot now i'm like wow yeah yeah yeah. even in um you know permissive ways like god permits us to do wrong so that we can be saved <laughs> you know? correct correct right right like i mean yeah, I, was, it's... I was always confused with this one thing in like corinthians or something when paul's like if that evil man let get let the evil man or, or like Put him out of your community so yeah. that he can be saved. Like yeah, 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 yeah. Like what? You're, you're, you are to hand him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that, um, you know, on on the on the day of judgment, he he can be saved. What Something the like. heck does that mean? I never understood. Yeah, it's but the it's... permissive will of God. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, that's the that's the will that 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 um Satan serves. You know. Yeah. But um. There was something else that was on my mind too. Oh, well, uh, going with this theme of like community, the even in turning it into the communion of the saints, I think it's more like a, I mean, for the past 500 years, definitely this whole push towards individualism has been growing since the enlightenment. Well, since like the Protestant reformation and the enlightenment and whatnot. <clears throat> so, and it seeped into our Christianity as well. So like, it's just about me and Jesus um, and I don't need the communion of the saints or even, I don't even necessarily need the community of Christians around me, which I think most Protestants would obviously disagree with that. Right, 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 right. But, um, 
we're not, you know, we're not called to do it on our own. So like, what is the problem with having a community of, of, of people who, of the saints, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's nest. Um, I forget what my point was. I was thinking about well, it. This was like a while ago that I was thinking about it, but. Um, you know, the, it's a kind of a modern tendency in theology to view God's will as being competitive with, with people's will, God, almost like a, another being among beings. Um, and I mean, I can sort of get it um, because if you don't see him like that, he becomes so infinite so quickly that it becomes hard to really do theology that isn't like super mystical and like contradictory and stuff. But like, um, um, you know, they kind of view his will as like competing with our will, almost like he's just another person out there. And if, and if he is, you know, then it's like, what am I messing around with you guys for? I'll just go ask God. It'll just be me and God. And, and, um, but really, um, you know, like the, the older way of doing theology was to conceive God more so as the grounded being. And so that all these, these persons and voices, they are downstream from a source and, you know, it, and there are different ways they are, they are re reflective of, of who he is. And, um, you know, their will does not, does not compete with his but rather his will is something which is to be it like it subsists in or rather their will subsist in his his larger will which is like mm. it's not known in any particular instance you know it, it's 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 um or not 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 fully you know it's it's quite it's 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 quite interesting i mean i guess what i mean by that is something like you know uh no no sighting of a honda vehicle is the sighting of uh honda as such like like the platonic form of the honda something like that <laughs> so anyway um no if yeah, you've seen but, but, if you've seen the honda then you've seen the honda <laughs> right i mean yeah so there's something something there where the also the catholic church is just an old church so it doesn't forget um it doesn't forget its previous members let's mm. say something like that nor does it you know count them dead you know he's not god of the dead but of the living for him all are alive they're more alive than we are yeah exactly know? yeah they're more alive and, than um, we are and so uh yeah no i guess that's why they kind of have this they believe in the communion of, of the saints you know as well as the resurrection of the body and life everlasting this and that so yeah yeah, that's another interesting thing, too, because that's even in the Apostles' Creed, which is from, like, the 200s. And most Protestants don't reject those creeds all the way up into, for, like, the first 800 years or so. You know? And it no. explicitly says, I believe in the communion of the saints. But maybe it just means something different. <laughs> right, 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 right. Or I think even, like, Gavin Ortland would has, like, admitted that, like, yes... It's possible that the prince that the that the saints are praying for us in heaven, but we don't know about it, and we shouldn't be asking them. No. Yeah. Because 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 the Old Testament contains unfavorable mentions of necromancy. Exactly. And if you're if you are if you are asking for the intercession of saints, you are doing necromancy. Yep. And um, I'm, I'm I, I guess I'm trying to. Yeah, I know what you're saying. <laughs> exactly. You're trying to raise people from the dead. You're Correct. trying to talk to the dead. 
Correct. Who are alive in Christ. Hmm. Right. Or you might you might actually just hear from the devil. The devil might encourage you towards greater faith and give you graces. Well, the you know, and that that's <laughs> yeah, that that's that's the you know, I mean you would think he is doing that if you were if you're coming from the premise that that it's all wrong and satanic. But I mean my what I would almost wonder is that if the devil was talking to you, would that not also in some ultimate way be from from God, such that what he means for evil is oh is wow for good i mean this this gets you know but it, this gets obviously complicated um like um but in the end what it really comes down to is can you trust providence or not um and i think that there's kind of it's interesting i think like in modern catholicism like they don't trust providence like even in the marian apparitions and whatnot it's like providence is not to be trusted why because she says stuff like I'm why it's like why are you sad, Mary? Oh, I'm just sad because like all these people are going to hell because there's no one to pray and fast for them. And so this is where this raises a question to me as like an amateur theologian. It's like, wait, so these souls can be saved in principle if the conditions, you might say the material conditions of like others being willing to fast and pray for them exist or are met. And yet the world has been architected in such a way that uh these people who could have been saved the 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 means for their salvation are just not actually present in the world that god actually happened to create and so through a kind of almost a mischance or even an accident um uh or just a regrettable circumstance these people who could have been saved are not getting saved and it's like what does that do to your trust in god it's like um you know the these people are going to hell avoidably right and what that suggests is that to the extent that god loved those people and willed their salvation at all which remember for thomas aquinas that wasn't necessarily the case um but uh you know you know just just as for calvin it, it's it's not necessarily the case but um to the extent that God loved those people and willed their salvation at all, it just means that the world we will end up with is in the final analysis, not the best possible world. There would have been a better possible world in which y'all would have just gotten your stuff together. And then we might've had a few fewer people in hell. Um, and that would have been the ideal world, but we, whatever that is, we don't live in that. And, wow. um, and, and so there's, that's kind of the modern, because the modern Catholic understanding of predestination is really more like what I would call post-destination. It's the the Molinist um, understanding of like basically what it means for God to have predestined you. I'm using that in the loosest possible sense to, to heaven is to have foreseen your free acceptance of his grace and then to have kind of, I don't know. I mean, like, I don't even, I just, I struggle to use the word predestined in connection with this because it's post-destination because it's logically posterior to your own um, uh, free antecedent acceptance of his, of his, you know, salvific will for you. So, um, and that, that's modern because it's, it's coming from this, it's coming from this assumption that if, God wills me to be saved, that is somehow competitive with my own will. But the, for, for Thomas Aquinas, it's like God is the good. Ergo, 
um, you know, if I my all my desires are naturally oriented toward the good anyway. So if he just reveals himself to me as the good, his will and my will are not, he's not overriding my will when he does that. He's setting up a precondition for my exercise of my own will toward the good. And so, but the thing is the modern Catholic understanding, they 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 want to insist on on hell as this place from which redemption is inconceivable in principle, but they can't stomach the older um, Thomistic uh, notion of predestination, which is functionally indistinguishable from, from that of John Calvin, really, except that maybe Thomas Aquinas makes a few more incoherent noises, but I mean, or, which are not necessarily incoherent, but but um, it, nonetheless, he's clearly stating that there are people um, uh, whom uh, God, God has, um, he has not willed their salvation, else they would have been saved. You know, only in some kind of double, you know, for Thomas, it's like you, you find a contradiction, make a distinction. So he's going to talk about God's antecedent will and then his consequent will or something. He's going to have two senses of the word will, one of which doesn't really mean anything because he's omnipotent. So what does it mean that he wants something, you know, he could have achieved um, without overriding anyone's own free will? Um, and he just didn't do it. It just means he didn't want it in any real or meaningful sense of that so so that's that's the thing so the modern catholics they have that weakened molinistic understanding of, of predestination which means you just can't trust providence which just means we just don't actually live in the best of all possible worlds and even mm -hmm. in the kind of the marian apparitions that's what seems to come through and that's actually what i actually why i find them quite fascinating and also yeah. why i always have to apply the hermeneutical framework of the permissive and the positive will um in order just for all of revelation including the special or private revelation excuse me not not special but but private revelation to, to to hang together and make some modicum of sense you know the the task of interpreting and putting things together actually doesn't go away even when you join a church that has like a a, a pontiff at at its head um and so that's that's kind of again why actually the 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 impetus for the the second podcast that I did came very much out of um, my desire to become Catholic and understand understand these things because um, uh, because when you're having some meaningful understanding of predestination you have like and you have like this related notion of the permissive and the positive will and then you have the idea of hell as eternal. There's some way that these things must come together if you're going to take like all of Catholic revelation. And I think yeah. I actually did a job of putting them together. Um, uh, but it's it's not one that that most people would uh, know about or agree, agree with or even necessarily understand. But but that's that's what it, what it what it was i won't necessarily go too much more into detail about that yeah <laughs> but these things are real these are real no, it's very interesting like, yeah it, it, it's it's real stuff you can't avoid it you can't avoid it and you either become like a crypto calvinist like um like the like the thomas like like this like scholastic answers dude on youtube he's like <clears> straight <throat> up just says like no like yeah god hasn't willed that everyone be saved everyone is that's in heaven it's because god didn't originally will their salvation and de deal with it um wow and and uh, yeah, because for Thomas, it was that way. Of course it was, um, you know, because he believed in God as the, the transcendent good, 
that in other words, he can reveal himself in, to you in such a way that you desire him. And it does not ipso facto mean that your own will is overridden. Because um, he's the good as such. He's not going to compete with your will. That's a very old theological understanding of things. And he believes in providence. God is not going to architect an inferior world. He's a perfect being, so to speak, or he is perfect being. Mm -hmm. And then, um, uh, and so what do you get? You get the idea that God loves the fact that those who are in hell, because they are most certainly there. We would never abandon that assumption. Um, God loves the fact that those who are in hell are in hell. It just, it just makes him, it's part of what makes him so blissful all the time. Or I mean, uh, I suppose his bliss <laughs> is in some transcendent way, actually utterly disconnected from yeah. any temporal or, or, or even, you know, otherworldly events. But nonetheless, it, it it's like, the saints but then jesus just doesn't care the saints do love to w witness the torture of of um you know the 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 reprobates in hell they just love that because what else could they do because god is perfect and he's you know he, his, his providence is perfect and he's and he's the good as such and his will doesn't compete with ours and da -da 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 -da. so yeah it has real consequences at some point it's like that jesus just doesn't care you know <laughs> it's, oh for sure he doesn't cause, care because the jesus you know he can <laughs> he's because he's completely self-sufficient right the aseity of god he's completely yeah. self-sufficient that means he's completely satisfied in himself then why even make anything you know if you're completely satisfied correct, correct. because because his very in his very being is the desire to love and create mm -hmm. so it's like creation was necessary a necessary yes. um product of who god is you know right it, we're we are ontologically necessary it is ontologically necessary that we exist in order for god to be who he is you know <laughs> right you know he's like intrinsically relational yeah i mean i would i would suspect so to a very real degree that we don't even presently understand it's like being in christ means you are part of god's identity and I would even suggest, like, yeah, it gets it gets it gets hard it gets hard to articulate even correctly, let alone to do so without sounding heretical. But I I would think the implication of of the incarnation, um, it's like through an almost kind of strange looping logic or something. But but um, it's like um, uh, it says in John, like um, beloved now are we the sons of god but it does not yet or are, am i still there yeah it does not yet appear what we shall be but we know that when he appears we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is um it, it's it's almost like um each of us is destined to become god in the same way that jesus is in whatever sense the man jesus of nazareth can be said to be god we are destined to become god in that same way that's mm. that's what I really think is like the kind of yeah. inescapable implication of things. And that means that because in a sense, eternity is all that exists to God. So in some sense, all God sees is the divinized version of you who was like, in a sense, always part of him in some way that we can't understand. Um, uh, because we're always, you know, seeing things according mm. to a, a sequential or timelike grammar. Um but yeah, no, there there is something about eternity which is like it's like strangely being it like it it's like an MC Escher design. It, like it it ends up where it began, but knows the place for the first time or something like that. You know, that's yeah. why we fell from paradise and we're 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 trying to get back to 
paradise. Um, uh, you know, God is eternity and God we live and move and have our being. God is the ultimate reality. Everything that is in him was, yeah, and God we live and move and have our being. And really for the, the theologians, everything that is in God is God. Like this God's convertible with each one of his attributes and we're all in God. So there's, like, there's a certain way that, that like, we always have to be in the final analysis, part of the same kind of like eternal grammar as God, which I would say like following Chris Lang in it, it has like a kind of, takes the form almost of like a self-identification operation. Basically it's love, but there's something eternal about love such that, such that whom you, whom you love, it's like, if you love them, that in virtue of that love, it makes them eternal and like having necessarily like existed, like from the beginning, because it's like, you can't, you can't conceive of your own existence or identity apart from that something like that and the relationship between us and god is like that or it revealed in christ to be like that and then it's sort of we live into that it's sort of that's reality that reality is what comes into being it it yeah i was thinking about how and i don't know if this is related but because now you got me thinking about the positive and permissive will in the eschaton when christ is all in all his permissive, his positive will has, is has won essentially. Everything and, is seen in retrospect to have been in his positive will. That distinction falls away as all distinctions ultimately do. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, like that was all part of the plan, you know. Correct. No, what <laughs> what he meant for what he meant for evil, you did mean for good, and it and it that is, was is, yeah. Also, his like, it, but then like going from from that moment on into eternity you know, I think we're continually growing and, um, you know, I, I wonder if we'll make mistakes or like our mistakes will be like holy, you know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? Like we're going to keep growing and like, I'm still going to be Peter and I'm still going to be a musician and maybe I'll even like eternally be becoming more and more of a better musician over, you know, through, through eternity. You know what I mean? I don't like, really know how that, how that works, yeah. but, um, but I mean, that's what I mean by his permissive will might still exist, but but his permissive will then then will become his positive will because he also wants us to be individual like entities, you know, with our individual wills within his will. Yeah, yes. but I guess that's like the merging of his permissive and positive will in the end. Yeah, well, God's the unity that God is is somehow a unity which which exists in like um the interplay between some notional unity and, and multiplicity mm -hmm. um and and so there's there's a certain way where you know it's kind of like as you achieve oneness with god it's like the oneness is like the oneness of a mosaic but for each piece of the mosaic it does not cease to be what it is in fact it's being what it is is critical for the unity of the whole mosaic because without its pieces it wouldn't be what it is kind of kind of thing mm -hmm. um and so, but it it does it does get difficult to understand. But I don't think it, you know, even as the beatific vision is your vision of God slash is God's vision of you. Does it represent a complete erasure of of, of your personal identity, or or you know, or is it something that really is it 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 is achieved through? It's like your finitude is a vehicle into the infinite, almost. But mm. but this but this gets into very very tricky and funny yeah. stuff. What I would say is that for all things and all people to be one ultimately is just what it means that God exists. 
that that mm-hmm. God is that unity and that unity is what we intrinsically are seeking all the time. That was fascinating. And it always is here in, interesting to hear the inner mechanizations of your mind, which are an enigma. <laughs> yeah. I was curious. Just... I was curious to hear a little bit about um your experience with the rosary and, mm. and prayers to Mary. Mm. Like Mm-mm. I think I think a lot of times people have this discussion in the abstract. They're like, I'm gonna remove my head from my body and say, Hey, praying to Mary is wrong. Okay. Now what if you do it? What happens? You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's like it's kind of like it's kind of like Yeah, um, I first started praying like, to Mary when I was an atheist. I learned to pray the rosary when I was an atheist. Well, it's and like I, very shortly after that I became Christian. It's like atheists when they say God isn't real. Okay? And and when you pray to God, he doesn't hear you cuz he's not there. Okay, atheist, you're but have you tried praying to God? Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> have you you know, is that Yeah. I think like Thomas Aquinas is probably like one of the only like Catholic saints that's like doesn't have that mu- as much of a mystical edge to him. Hmm. You know I mean? Not as much of an experiential. He's a very heady saint. And I'm sure he well, does have except, some writings. Except that, except that the, the, in the end, those two things aren't really opposed. And, yeah. and he, really, he really was quite mystical from what I I'm understand. Sure. Although I've not actually read him in that in that level of depth. Really, I shouldn't pretend. I'm sure he does talk about the experience of God and and you know prayer and whatnot. But well, what what happened funny. was he 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 hit his head on a tree branch while riding on a donkey or something, and that he just sustained a traumatic brain injury. And after that, he had like some experience of of um, transcendence. Where after that, he just looked at all he'd written and said, "It's it's straw, S T R A W. It's like manger straw. It's not it's not it does it's not worth anything." Oh, like all yeah, he did end up saying that. Yeah, I remember that. Um, because ultimately it comes down to like the experience. You know, you're you're not gonna reach sanctification through head knowledge. You know, you're yeah. not gonna you're not gonna become like God unless you get to know God. And and similarly, you know, getting to know the saints. Like we we're kind of talking about like fostering a relationship with Mary, for example. Yeah. And I was mentioning how that was like a scary thing for me. And it wasn't actually until I was talking to you about it and you said something about Mary knowing my relatives, mm. like knowing my meme and all mm-hmm. her relatives. Mm-hmm. And really like the, yeah. the Catholic, um, my Catholic heritage goes all the way back to Canada, all the way back to France mm-hmm. and then all the yes. way back to the Roman yes, Empire. Yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, tell me a little bit about your experience with mary what what is that it's a like? long story it's kind of a long story i mean the really <laughs> well, really he, what happened i in in april of um, april of uh last year i had a, a a dream of of mary um yeah was it april of last year yeah i I'm, i might be getting my timeline wrong and i didn't make that much of it at, at the time but i do remember that in the dream i felt at a loss for words to do her honor um, and I was stammering the same thing over and over again, um, trying to do her honor with my words, but finding that I was completely stuck. And um, and then I, in, in December of last year, I shared in the, the chat that we all take part in, 
I shared the the testimony of Roy Shulman, the Harvard professor who became a, a Catholic, a Jewish Harvard professor um, after a dream that he had about Mary. Um, and then, and it was, I mean, it's just stupidly beautiful. Like um, that, that, that whole testimony. Um, I, uh, and I saw that and it really uh, rocked my world uh, um, for various reasons, which I mean, take a long time to get into all of them but um and one of the things he mentioned in that document in that in that uh, uh uh testimony was how he felt overpowered by a desire to do her honor but he didn't feel any he didn't know any prayers so he tried in a sneaking way to ask her what her favorite prayer was so that she would teach him the words of the hail mary which he kind of dimly knew existed but he didn't know the words to and um, she said, I like all prayers. And he said, but surely you must like some more than others. And then she said in Portuguese, for whatever reason, O Maria concebida sem pecado, rogai por nos que recogemos a vos. So it's, um, it's the miraculous metal prayer. O Mary conceived without sin, pray for us who have recourse to thee. That was what I had just learned. I just learned the, the, the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception the night before watching that video, that it really applies to Mary. And that was something that surprised me because like, like all Protestants, I assumed the Immaculate Conception refers to Jesus' conception. And, um, and so that also felt weirdly sort of intentional. But the line that he said about um, um, being overpowered by a desire to, to do her honor, but not finding the words, it made me think back to my own experience of the dream. And there was something about it that felt quite intentional where it felt like in a, in a very gentle way that, that um, the Virgin Mary was, was reminding me of, of the dream in which, in which she had um, appeared to me and to take it seriously and not to take it as what I did take it, which is more or less just a unremarkable uh, kind, kind of, kind of thing and so um although really it wasn't anywhere near as remarkable as 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 the dream that roy showman had and you know i just i i wonder about stuff like that permissive and positive will or to what extent is it necessary or desirable for god to show himself to us with the signs and the wonders and the bells and whistles not to be dismissive um, of roy showman's experience because it was a tremendous experience and that's actually what 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 made me convert too but anyway so um you know and then for me like his channel was really my entry into the catholic world and um it meant very much to me when um sort of out of out of a great desire to to hear from mary and be healed I, I prayed the seven sorrows rosary seven times in a row and then i you know i was always checking his channel so right right after i got up to, to go to the store and I got my phone to put on the Roy Showman podcast to listen to something by Roy Showman when I was going to go to the store. There was the his presentation on the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady had just been uploaded. I had looked for it previously because it wasn't it wasn't on. I had looked I you know it was just brand new. It had just been recorded either just after or during the the lengthy period when I when I prayed that rosary seven times in a row. And and even even learning about that prayer was sort of the answer to a previous prayer that that I had been like praying and fasting um, uh, to to get an answer to, and it seemed that the answer uh, uh, 
was uh, was the the seven sorrows um, of Our Lady that that rosary that devotion which I had not heard about until um, until that particular event or episode. And so, um, yeah, it's been it's been a lot of stuff like that, um, and that I guess that did always make it always in lots of little things, very interesting things, you know, like um, the, the coincidences were or signal graces were were very remarkable, because there was a there was an there's an African American uh, 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 coworker of mine. Um, Who's you know he's just a he's just a coach at a at a at a at, a, at an elementary school, and it turned out like while I was I I figured out coincidentally the nurse is Catholic, and and you know it's like he walked in like we were in the we were in the office, like after school, uh, we were in the front office and everyone was leaving, and then the 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 nurse had just shared with me through some coincidence or no it's like yeah the, the the coach came in and he was like did you know like originally christmas was 12 days long and she said yeah i knew that because i'm catholic and he said yeah i only learned that when i became catholic and i and i and i and i thought well that's so interesting because i've been thinking about becoming catholic and i and i realized that and and I and I said I said do you know do you know this guy Roy Showman because I told I I I showed him I showed him like yeah because I I heard his testimony I've been listening to all his stuff and that made me want to become Catholic and he said yeah I know Roy Showman uh, I have him saving my contacts list on my phone because um, I've spoken with Roy Showman and nobody knows Roy Showman in the Catholic world any more than they know him in the Protestant world but this guy knew him um, and and. Um, He's and, and the reason he knew him because all Roy Showman stuff is about the relationship between Judaism and Christianity, and it's like a ministry to Jews to get Jews to convert to Christianity or to Catholicism. And um, the coach was himself a converted Jew, and that's why he knew about Roy Showman. He was raised Baptist and converted to Judaism and then converted to Catholicism. But it was so surreal that 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 coincidence of events that afternoon in the office, it really felt like yet another kind of sign or confirmation of, of something. And so that's when I, in short order, I moved to, um, I moved to get my son baptized. Um, I actually entered the church uh, on Christ the King Sunday on November 26th, ahead of schedule. Um, and and um, on January 6th, my fiance, who's always already been Catholic, um, she and I are going to be married um, in uh, the Catholic church on January 6th. Um, and so that, you know, that, that's, that's that. And it's something again about the integration, um, uh, you know, that, that is so integral to, to God's identity, um, that yeah, it it, seems it, like it's so experiential, isn't it? It's yes. like, yes. Um, uh, there's something about, do you think that like every time, I mean, like, it seems like everybody I know who seriously prays the rosary who like, even if like they don't necessarily, I don't know. Like I feel like if you approach Mary seriously, you're gonna encounter her. You know what I mean? It's like mm. it's it seems like a given almost every time. Yes, I, mean, I know. There's obviously people who pray the rosary, and I'm sure they just do it through rote or like through guilt or whatever. Like because mm. like you know what people. That's me to... most of the time that I pray the rosary. 
people don't you know, go to confession anymore though you know people don't go to con i feel like people have less guilt these days like in these modern times there's just less guilt out there so like when people really do pray actually go out of the way to put down their phone and pray the rosary <laughs> then sure. they're actually like they're actually serious about it you know what i mean <laughs> You know, that it's a very, I mean, what you're saying, it, it resonates more deeply with me than you know, because because I began to pray the rosary before I was Christian, before I believed in God at all, because I, I was on campus at, at graduate school. And that was because um, in a kind of weirdly sort of almost almost identitarian way, um, I was never what you would call alt-right. Um, but but I am um, an omnivorous consumer of, of all kinds of content on the internet. Really, I know things about things that if I were to go into that level of detail, people would assume I'm singularly obsessed with that thing. But the truth is I, I have that kind of knowledge about many things. So I wouldn't want people to assume that I was ever all right because I never really was. Um, but but um, I was interested in the kind of neo-pagan return to one's ancestors and and uh, like you know that kind of that kind of idea or even because jordan peterson who in a sense awoke me from my dogmatic slumbers although really that that in my story that that honor more fully goes to to the the guy that i mentioned earlier chris langan i i was i was interested i i just thought it was you know like jordan peterson talked about resurrecting your dead father like that that kind of idea and so I thought if I learn to pray the rosary, I'll be partaking in a kind of ancestral practice. I guess I, in a sense, because I had already begun, even though I was a materialist atheist, I, I was just finding myself praying for people about whom I could not help but pray for. Um, uh, I cared about them that much. And I realized that there was something in this world that even if I am temporary, it is so it is eternal because in order to safeguard or maintain it, I would die a thousand deaths or an infinite number of deaths. There's something about that about love itself, which which just which just eternally exceeds the bounds of time and space. I was beginning to understand that. I was beginning to pray. And and so then um and so I thought I'll be engaging in a kind of practice. Because I in a sense I, I liked what Jesus represented, the meaning, uh of of paganism is 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 ancestor worship so it's like elevating your tribe to the status of god almost it's like seeing that as like the highest integrated principle that you can conceive almost but what i was beginning for two things it's like one i was already beginning to um see what jesus represented and and prefer that over paganism because i could understand that like you know like paganism it's like I'll sacrifice my life for my tribe. But Jesus is like, I'll sacrifice my life for the child of the the uh, the tribesman of another tribe. And I could just sense something very powerful and resonant and eternal in that and subversive, really, in the way that God's nature subverts like human nature. And the, the, the love that created the world is not the same as the world's love. And so I, I was beginning to get that. And also I understood that like my more proximate identities of like French and Portuguese 
is different from the older like Gaulish and Celtic stuff. And that's, you cannot be understood apart from Catholicism and Christianity. So to really connect with like my more immediate ancestors, you have to do what they actually did, which was the rosary. And so I learned how to do that. And, you know, and then when I had, when I, when I found myself connect, uh, so, so, um, moved by Roy Shulman's testimony. Part of it was because the unexpected detail of his, um, uh, well, the fact that in his dream, Mary said the miraculous metal prayer in Portuguese. I assumed it meant that the prayer was initially revealed in Portuguese, and I later learned that was not true. The fact that it wasn't Portuguese at all felt personal to me. At first, I thought it was kind of like, like silly of me to assume that it's being in Portuguese was some kind of you know personal was was meant to to have personal significance to me as i as i watched the video but then i realized that to to come as and present herself as a member of your tribe is actually part of mary's mo so like in um uh, uh our lady of guadalupe uh she appears as a mexican woman our lady of Cabejo, she's she's a she's a black woman um or a dark-skinned woman which you know black jesus and black mary is totally consonant with the idea of the incarnation you know for, for for what i think should be obvious reasons like it makes it makes perfect sense um um but uh so anyway um i i i felt a personal sort of significance from from that that it was in um portuguese and and also because i when i later learned that the language that the, the prayer was initially revealed in i realized it was it was actually french um, which is the only ethnicity that I have more of than Portuguese. Um, and so anyway, you know, like for for reasons um, like that, um, you know, that, that it, it, there is something about Mary where she is more sort of, uh, she's not laissez-faire. Uh, she's more like a helicopter parent in a sense, because like, um, or very hands-on. Because like uh, Roy Shulman said, uh, it's, Jesus Jesus made Mary our mother and so it's like um uh she's every Christian's Jewish mother um I'm not even going to qualify that with an almost or sort of it's like that that is actually the case and uh Jewish mothers tend to be very hands-on so um it, but you know and, and to the extent that she's presenting herself as not Jewish paradoxically so you know it's 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 um but anyway yeah so then, so that was like a large, in large part, the role that Mary played. So Mary played a large, in large part, a role in your conversion, even just to, to faith in Christ, right? It would appear that that's the case because I did start believing in Jesus Christ very shortly after praying, praying the rosary. Mm. But I felt that I, I should try to understand Christianity and the Christianity that made rational sense to me was, was not Catholic. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Even though my first foray into it and exposure to it was from the Catholic chapel on the campus of my graduate school. So I initially was led in a more reformed direction, but only for the reason that I could not make intellectual sense of Christianity. You know, things like God is simple. But he's also trying, and I was like, "Yeah, forget it. I'm not even going to try <laughs> to make sense of that." Um, uh, and um, 
but but I did feel sort of compelled to believe for reasons that I didn't understand. That made sense to me in terms of predestination. Also, I didn't trust God yet at all. So I thought if there is a God, then he is kind of a son of a bitch, like like in in Catholic in, in, uh, in uh, Calvinism. And um, so uh, that was initially the direction that I was led into. And then when I really believed was when I realized that that you don't have to turn your brain off to to be a christian when i when i read and understood chris langan for a lot of people they will just view what he's saying as as opposed to to christianity and it uh you know but um uh the i'm not going to get into that but but for <laughs> me it's like you really need that level of philosophy to understand christianity at all truly because otherwise it just opens into the kind of irresoluble paradoxes that i was kind of talking about earlier and then, you know, Roy Shulman would just say, yeah, turn your brain off, essentially, because it's a mystery that you cannot understand. But to me, that also leads to problems, because um, if I'm supposed to allow contradictions here, I don't know where else I'm supposed to allow it. And I can allow contradictions in the Protestant case to remain Protestant. I can, or I can allow contradictions in the atheist case to not believe in God. Like, I just don't really know the principled line where it's like, okay, contradictions can be over here. But not over there, unless we're talking about that thing I was talking about earlier, where it's like structure all the way until the one. And then I do know where the line is. And I do know why. In other words, at the level of perceptual reality, contradiction cannot exist. But there's a level where it must exist, namely beneath all sort of perceptual or binary logical distinctions um, as the condition of being able to draw such distinctions, not as something which cancels them out. Or, or obviates them. Um, so, um, so uh, I, you know, that that it did. I think, in retrospect, it appears that that is what led to my becoming mm. Christian. But the turns and the forms that initially took were not, you know, because I just didn't, to, I didn't have the way to to understand Catholic teaching alongside the the philosophical considerations that did and really still do make the most sense to me hmm. yeah wow and now as as you've grown and now you're officially like a member and baptized and chrismated and all that and communed communized eucharized yeah. or whatever you say yeah <laughs> um you know how how has that relationship changed or grown or has it strengthened like that relationship with mary as well I think so. Um, I, I think I think it, I think so in the sense that I mean, like I, I pray the rosary every day. There's a reason I do that. Um, it's not because I'm a cradle Catholic. Uh, you know, it, there, there's there's for someone who was not raised even Christian at all to, to pray the rosary every day. There has to be something that is deeply tying that practice to their conscious understanding of how things work. There are many instances in which it appeared that prayer was was answered. I used to pray the rosary, you would say, four times a day. Or really, you know how I told you the rosary is based on the Psalms. So originally it was 150 beads. Mm -hmm. But when you when when Pope John Paul II added the luminous mysteries, it's like expanding it to 200 beads or something. But like if you were to pray the full rosary, so to speak, it would be like 200 beads. So I would pray all four rosaries a day, uh, all four mysteries a day. And then, and um, 
I would I would be sure to prioritize that so that you know like I would I would like in the summer school like I had to drive a long way to go to where we were doing that and then I would do that and drive a long way to come back go home and be doing chores and this and that and then my last uh like hour of leisure or something I had to I had to give over to that and so then when I was doing that um it felt like with behind like a miraculous metal prayer um I could put and mean it the intention of a whole rosary mm. and and so and it was almost like when I was praying at that level of um I don't want to sound I don't want to sound ridiculous or anything but but I was more so aligned in a certain sense with the positive will of God you could say at that time um and it seemed like those prayers had tremendous efficacy even when they weren't backed up by something because one thing that I think I learned from that time was that if you want your prayers to have power you have to give something up um to show that you're serious you to show that you're serious but in a sense also to be able to mean it you have to put yourself in that condition of deprivation it's not so much that god really wants something from you is that in order to really mean it you have to you have to willingly forego something so you put yourself in that in that place of focus and intensity and um and um so i i, I saw that I could pray just a short prayer, like, oh, Mary conceived without sin, pray for us or every city, which I still play, pray almost like, it's almost like scrupulosity. It's almost like a little bit, you might say too much. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I pray that. And, you know, like I, there were times when I felt like I'm praying this, but Mary knows that I'm putting a whole rosary behind it. She knows that I mean it because if I had the opportunity, then I would. Um, but, you know, work is also prayer, operare est, est, est orare. Um, uh, mm. but I would see things happen that were like, it was like answered prayer. I learned on an experiential level that prayer gets answered. Mm. Um, of course, not always in the way we want to mean it. The thing so that it's I like, it's yeah. like the, uh, what's that called? The, the prosperity gospel. You just say these prayers and good things will happen. It's so simple. Well, you know, the, the, well, not <laughs> prosperity, but you know, the, yeah, the, the guy who was like the super faithiest dude, faith healer guy was um what's his name curry blake at john g lake ministries and you know even his prayers it did not appear for the present time you know were were enough to lift immediately the thing that i would most in prayer desire to be lifted or taken away which is my my sleep disorder and it may be that that even god intends that in a certain way as as a as a, as a wounding for my uh surgical healing in a, in, a, in a sense um uh so because because all sickness is is from the enemy um but it may be that even what the enemy means for evil god god turns to good in such a way that there was not a more perfect means because what he makes the world that he creates is the most perfect world conceivable it's the best one conceivable. At the end, you're not going to say, oh, yeah, but the world where, where Cal didn't have narcolepsy was just a better world, all else equal. Um, Caterus paribus. It's not going to be like that or else God isn't God. Um, so anyway, but but yeah, no, I just I, I just kind of learned stuff like that. And it's real weird because in a sense, signs and wonders don't change you. 
a wicked and adulterous generation asks after a sign. It's like, even if you got it, you still wouldn't, it wouldn't make you better. And like, so I went through all that and then I came to a, a level of like reduced spiritual vigilance that I'm now at, like greater kind of laxity. I still pray, but I noticed that there's a certain way that I'm kind of lukewarm. Um, and, um, you know, that's just, it's it's weird because I, I figured out that a lot of my previous motivation was to be seen as a as a teacher in the eyes of other believers. And and then um, what I felt like I ended up was at a place that is so at least seemingly heretical that I can never be taken seriously by other people. And I think if I'm perfectly honest, that took the wind out of my sails to a large degree because I, I discovered that a lot of my motivation was social. Um, and um and so, um, but I, I'm still carrying on and I think I'm still learning. I think I am learning and growing in what God wants to show me, which is that it's really, I, it's like, as far as God is concerned, I can be like the biggest heretic and the biggest logic denying idiot um, to, to everyone. But um, if I do learn just a little bit about like, to learn to see these children with special needs whom I worked with the way that God sees them, then all his work will have been done. He doesn't care um, about my orthodoxy. It seems to me that he's saying, or he, he's, he does, but he sets it as very little in comparison with what he really cares about. And I think that he is teaching me despite all my own obstinacy about what it means to see the way that Jesus sees people and what it means to to be Jesus and to be God. That's well said. Yeah, it is a journey. It is it, it's interesting cuz like you know, a lot of this world with with like Catholic devotions is new to me, so I feel like I still have this like energy and wonder and um mm, childlikeness yeah. about it, but I don't but think I, it goes away. I, yeah, I don't I don't imagine it'll go away. I felt this kind of reno, renovation, like renewing, renewal of my faith. Yes. And yes. also joy. Yes. And, um, you know, just trusting God more in this season where I've been, you know, seeking the intercession of Mary and the saints. You know, it's not it's not something that's retracted my faith or and it, it and also I think something I've really noticed that's been even more like substantial to me is like this just desire not to sin you know what i mean hmm. like yeah 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 like i feel like something i've always struggled with is like never really feeling guilty about my sin like not never really hmm. feeling like it's ever going to be possible to be free of sin like hmm. I, there's a sense in some protestant circles where it's like you know jesus paid it all you're good True. you're good man you exactly. know, of, of course, you're going to keep saying, and of course, you know, but that's until we get to heaven, you know, once we get to heaven, everything will be fine. But right. it's like, is there, is it actually possible to overcome sin? Yes. And I felt I've never felt like I could in yeah. Protestant circles, but now I feel yeah. like there's graces that I'm yeah. receiving that I didn't have before, you know? Okay. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Yeah. And that's the, it's like aligning yourself with the positive will of God, that side of his will that you can presently understand. And we are enjoying to do that to the greatest degree that we can. That's very serious. Um, mm -hmm. It should never be minimized. I have a tendency intellectually to, you know, to intellectualize things and even to minimize that. Um, but, you know, the 
the thing is, um, ultimately, what I would say is that guilt is not from God, which might be hard mm -hmm. to understand. Um, and and really, when I'm trying to align myself with His positive will, that's when I feel the most guilt, and it feels very natural. And in a sense, I don't feel any kind of second order guilt or shame about it. I don't condemn myself for feeling the guilt. So in a sense, it's actually it's a burden that's borne very lightly. And in that way, it's actually even guilt is maybe the wrong way to describe it because um, it's not, not always guilt, but like the desire to change the desire for repentance, you know? Yeah. Or I mean, it's 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 something it's it's uh, anyway, you know, I've um, but ultimately you will feel um, when, if you're trying to seek holiness that like you are just doing everything wrong and you're really just <laughs> the biggest idiot and and none of that actually comes from God yeah um and and uh basically the the thing is what i think that i kind of figured out from the meditation on permissive and positive will is that the truth about god is that he's never judging anyone at all which is of course directly counter to the whole great white throne judgment business in revelation yeah. um but but um i think again the one has to use the the understanding that mm -hmm. what is the permissive will can still be the the will of god but so if 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 God is not the one judging you, then who is? And I think the answer is He allows us to judge ourselves, sort of like in the prodigal son, just yeah. so that we can return to Him and we can put away whatever false identity we were trying to live into. We can condemn it and then put it away, just so that we can return to Him. But in, He never condemned us. Just like a parent and their child, a child says something silly and says something like, "You're not my daddy anymore. I'm gonna. I don't have a daddy. I'm gonna run away." Da 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 da. Like, do you ever really seriously hate them for that? You understand that children are childish, and you but you and you love and see them always for who they are at every stage, and you even understand sort of like what's the good thing that that their mm -hmm. desire is ordered toward, even if they are not seeking it the right way. Yeah. You know all that. You know all of it. What are you? How are you going to judge? Um, exactly. The, the the the. So in other words, the God is never judging us. We judge ourselves. Um. That's what I think that I learned. And so whenever you're seeking the holiness, but you're feeling like one thing I, I feel like I learned from Mary right from the beginning. I actually told her this. Not that I ever heard an audible voice back. Please don't <laughs> misunderstand me. But I said, oh, I can't actually be your son because did you know this about me that I have all kinds of mental illness? I have all kinds of intrusive thoughts. I've never I've never actually mastered my lust. And so I have all kinds of intrusive like sexual thoughts about about anyone and everyone including like it could be my own mother so it could including it could be you and so that means actually you can't be you know that that means that 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 you can't you can't be my mother yeah wow and the the feeling that i got in response to that was like the most kind of um it's just like what it's just like the it's like the the attitude of a mother as she puts a child to bed who says oh actually i worked it out you know you can't we, I, I can't I can't be your child anymore it's like oh gosh just be just just uh just go to bed because I'm, uh, <laughs> yeah because because it's it's in other words she she let me know and one thing and especially kind of when I returned back onto the 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 path of trying to be holy -er, um was I learned like if I'm going back to bring the rosary I have to learn there's no wrong way to pray it Mm. and i can pray i can pray it under any circumstances because if i'm still thinking that it has to be done the right way then i'm actually not understood anything of the grace that it's being offered 
Um, and so there's a certain thing that I learned, I felt from, from the whole process that really the condemnation does not come from God ever, ever. Um, uh, it's, mm -hmm. it's some, uh, uh, something we, we do to ourselves. It's like a self-comparison. Or, or you could say that uh, Satan exploits things that we desire to sort of um, create the conditions under which we will judge ourselves or or hear his voice condemning us, you know? Mm, um, yeah. And, and um, so anyway, you know, some, some, something like that, but, but it doesn't, it doesn't ever come from God. Mm. And so that's why I think that there's a certain extent to which the experiences of like, the apparitions of Mary and, and this and that, where it's like, she's, she's talking about how, you know, God is going to punish is it's some, um, uh, it's some, um, uh, it's not the most accurate way. It's a it's true at a low level of resolution. But if you're if you're increasing the resolution, it's not the most accurate way to understand things. And in fact, it can be damaging to try to retain that sort of understanding past a certain level of yeah. spiritual maturity. I would I would and it also, it's also like again, semantics my, too. My word is worth nothing. So so but, yeah. but that's <laughs> that's my two cents. It's also semantics too. I always think of like you know what's the order like of, of course i i punish my children all the time but it's because i love them right it's yes, not correct i i was yelling at my daughter this morning because she kept uh sneaking into her stocking that i've been putting stuff in um and you know ultimately it's because i love her and and will the good right in her right that i right. even judge and condemn her yes or like yeah. the line from the george mcdonald novel where he says uh oh my she says oh my dear if if i had not already forgiven you i would not have taken the the trouble of, of, of punishing you so uh <laughs> yeah, yeah that, wow that's a good point yeah yeah he, no that's that's, that's god good... or in hebrews it says god disciplines those that he loves right indeed sure sure well, on that note, Cal, it's been wonderful catching up with you again. I feel yeah, like... this was a really good conversation. It reminded me of all the stuff that I converted for. It was really good. Yeah. I'm really glad that we had this conversation. Absolutely. You've been, you've played a, a big role in my journey of um, coming, coming to like have peace about going forward with Catholicism. And it's something my wife has wanted to do for quite a while and yeah so no the similarities between you and me are too strange yeah and too many to enumerate somehow yeah. we're intertwined i don't know right. what our destinies right. are but they're right. intertwined in some weird loop uh maybe right. Right. honestly our ancestors might have known each other who knows <laughs> yeah no it's something something like Canada. this yeah thank you so much man Lord, Lord. not an easy path But I'm willing to trust Though I'm dying in the dust <laughs>